Well, today is January of 2020, and talking about machine learning and and uh, where it can be applied. You know, I hear a lot of uh, questions relating what skill sets should I learn that would be valuable to employers. Um, the most popular language right now is Python and uh, followed by React and then C-sharp and Java are down in uh, the third and fourth ranks. But that may be true uh, in the academic and non-professional world, but Java and C-sharp and C++ are still the workhorses uh, of most businesses. And some businesses now are moving over to Node and uh, JavaScript and uh, Go. And those, but uh, I don't see a lot of jobs for Go and I don't see a lot of jobs for um, um, Node.js. Um, but they are there. And, uh, and if you look at uh, Java and C-sharp and Python, they, they seem to be more plentiful uh, when it comes to jobs that uh, people are willing to pay money for. And so you might say, well, what determines what skill set I should learn? And... Uh, I think that determines the one is trend. If there's a large group of uh, people learning uh, that are shifting from, let's say, from Angular to React, then that's a, probably a good indication that uh, React is becoming more popular and uh, there's demand for it and code bases are shifting maybe from uh, the legacy systems from Angular to React. And it could be due to the fact that there's a larger supply of talent that is learning uh, React. And so it's easier to find uh, labor to do the work. So I've heard that argument before when I've, I've uh, worked in Angular. And uh, they were, the company was moving from Angular to React. And they had found a way to have both frameworks running at the same time without any any conflict. And so um, they were starting to build some of the new interfaces in React. And, uh, you know, it's when you look at interfaces, they're, they're, they're fairly straightforward. You have uh, grids, you have navigation, you have click events, you have button events, you have animations. Um, and then you have your styles and all that uh, uh, those basic components go together to present data and to uh, not only present it but to receive data and transmit data so the interface becomes then a presentation of a data stream where data is being uh, either input and transmitted or uh, being received from the server and displayed. And that, and that aspect of 
um, user interfaces have allowed various frameworks to come into existence and uh, be used. One of the things I see also in skill sets is um, the desire to utilize uh, AI and machine learning. And so you have platforms like on Azure and AWS and Google that provide the uh, machine learning or you can run standalone um, applications using uh, SKLearn, uh, TensorFlow, and frameworks like that um, and get the, get the results from the machine learning. The question is, is who's paying for that? You know, you look, go out and look at, uh, for jobs. Are these jobs um, long-term? In other words, are, do they affect daily operations? Uh, how does machine learning affect daily operations? Well, you could, uh, you could put machine learning in forecasting and uh, you could forecast estimates and uh, you could also make, <clears throat> you could put machine learning in on evaluating decisions and uh, the effectiveness of rules. But are companies really doing that? That's the question, you know, when they, they've got a um, pipeline. And that's what I've seen is that there's, there's various pipelines of work that are doing, being done, whether you're in healthcare, construction, uh, manufacturing, there's a certain pipeline. So uh, manufacturing the pipeline goes something like this. So you have contracts, uh, you have customers, you have um, operations, and then you have your, so sales drives operations. Sales gets the contracts, the place, the orders that then, uh, feed into the operations, which provide the shipping, uh, storage and shipping, production shipping, and delivery of the commodities. And then you have the maintenance and repair. So you have labor and you have, you have equipment and you have maintenance and repair that uh, factor into the manufacturing pipeline. And so there's a constant uh, scrutiny of, of uh, rules that affect uh, labor, like you have sick, you have vacation, you have off no pay, uh, you have FMLA, and you have workers comp, and all these factors affect your labor. And those have to be constantly be monitored to make sure labor costs are uh, staying within a certain uh, level of variation and then you have new projects capital projects that are being built and allocation of funds and labor that's assigned to that you have estimates and and uh, and actuals and so machine learning could be utilized in those aspects to make predictions about whether a project will be on time um, how long it may take to to get a resource uh, to find resource pooling. If you have uh, multiple competing projects and 
you have a limited resource pool, how do you prioritize who goes and does what work and when? And how will that affect the uh, end configuration? And so reinforced learning might look at different pathways, uh, trying to find the optimum allocation or resource uh, to get work done. But then you have uh, slag, uh, you, excuse me, you have lag and lead. And those type of gaps can affect the overall outcome of the time, the budget, and the resources. So you have three things that compete uh, with each other and you don't have an unlimited number of people to work on the project. So uh, there has to be a balance there. You have a, a finite amount of time to complete the projects and tasks and you have a set amount of budget. And so if you go over your budget, then you have to go make a request for more uh, funds. And so funds have to be allocated. Additionally, they might have to close one project down and open another. And that's kind of the, the nature of multiple projects is the prioritization. So you, hopefully when you did your original, uh, hopefully when the original estimates for the budget were approved that all of the contingency planning was done in advance and the project management had correctly identified all the tasks that needed to be completed with a fair, fair degree of accuracy in terms of the time to accomplish all those tasks. Now those are the mechanics. Um, so that's one pipeline that exists in manufacturing is the capital improvements and the maintenance and repair. And these follow uh, annual cycles. So yeah, you're, you're, there's certain months that repairs are going under underway. There's certain months that uh, production is running at maybe 60, 70, 80, 90%, uh, which is really kind of scary when you think if you're running at 90%, that means that there's only 10% gap so if uh, there was some reason that equipment failure occurred or there was a, a problem in one of the processes where it, it uh, reduced the output, then uh, uh, it could affect the outcomes and uh, eventually affect the, the bottom line, which is your profits. Um, and so there's probably the logic of maintenance and repair that uh, would then facilitate a reduced probability of failure. And so maintaining a high degree of uptime, uh, percentage of uptime would be very important. Well, and then the other thing is in healthcare, you know, processing of claims. And those, uh, those types of uh, pipelines are um, interesting in terms of trying to understand what type of claims are occurring, why the claims occurred, basically things that related to maybe vaccinations or diseases or different, uh, uh, 
different procedures and occurrences and frequencies um, are often analyzed. So in that arena, the machine could identify and classify certain areas that uh, occurrences are happening frequently. Um, it could also uh, identify different stratification by age or demographics in terms of loca location, geography. Um, and those, those type of things may give some insight into some of the behavior that's occurring with the population. So machine learning just by itself uh, to produce lots of data and analytics uh, may be uh, noisy. And so in a sense that it gets noisy, it becomes less useful. And so identifying what the business objectives are are very important uh, when it comes to machine learning is that you have to have a partnership with the business. Uh, you have to understand the business processes that are, are running. And uh, realize that there's a lot of hype in machine learning right now where it's not really providing much business value. So if you spend uh, thousands of dollars to have a data scientist come in and uh, do some analytics, create a few dashboards and key indicators, and those indicators are not important, eventually they'll be ignored and, and the usefulness of, of that project would uh, be in question. But if the data reveals how the company is behaving in a way that um, can explain increased cost or um, increased uh, production trends, higher productivity, uh, increased labor cost, then those, those type of indicators can be useful. Um, they might also let you know when certain contracts are not being, the terms in the contracts are changing. It might alert you to the, the changes and configurations. And that kind of uh, comparison and analysis can be very helpful. And so in the area of business, when it comes to job costing and contract management, artificial intelligence could be very helpful in identifying things that are changing and also how those changes are impacting the overall outcomes in terms of time, budget, and resource. So again, going back to those uh, three components that we talked about in manufacturing, um, it seems to exist in, in all, all aspects of business. Um, and the other, the other type is governmental, where you're, you're managing assets. And so you have inventories and large numbers of assets uh, in physical form, whether they're buildings, trucks, equipment, and there, it's be, you're a 
giant cost center. And so cost accounting is very important in understanding variations. Uh, so purchasing of different equipment, chairs, desk, t uh, media, TV, things like that would be important to be analyzed uh, from a standpoint of integrating with existing systems. But the, one, the area with government that I could see as an area that uh, hasn't been largely identified or utilized by uh, AI or machine learning is legacy systems where you have various uh, mainframes or departmental information. Everything is siloed. And so one department doesn't know how the other department's impacting them. And so overall, maybe there's a, a general accounting system that gives a high-level picture, but the different systems don't interact. And so um, by utilizing AI to do different type of information routing and querying, it could then facilitate some information sharing between the departments. And that could be a huge factor. Uh, so that, uh, you know, that one way to solve the problem is to centralize all data. So all your inventories are going through one giant mainframe system. All the costs are going through a centralized mainframe or or they're being outsourced on a cloud platform and these and these resources then provide certain business functionality and then focusing on the auditing of that functionality to ensure the integrity of the system uh, becomes the certification which builds the confidence that these different pieces of the business are being handled appropriately. And so it, um, it makes me wonder in the future that whether we will see each company having a machine learning AI expert uh, integrator who's pulling together all these different aspects of the business and subscribing to different machine learning and AI services um, or if these processes will then be automated and, and uh, outsourced to big companies like SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, and so your experts would then go work for the big companies and they would provide uh, utilities where with P companies can purchase the utility services and those utilities then will provide uh, a certain level of value to the company. They, maybe they'll analyze all of the tax information to make sure everything conforms correctly to tax laws. Maybe there's a service that would go out and analyze the HR modules to make sure that all of the 
benefits are being correctly accumulated and the deductions are being correctly removed and the liabilities are uh, being correctly paid to the government or to the banks or to uh, third-party partners that uh, have garnishments in their favor. So these are, these are types of um, things that um, I'm kind of wondering about the future as it, as it relates to employment, whether the employment will become more proliferic in the sense that there will be more machine learner learning um, experts on site and that they will be working long-term versus short-term. But I'm, I kind of see a trend towards visualization. Um, you know, even though we've had visualization for a long time, Power BI, Tableau, Domo, uh, Microsoft Excel, it's only recently that these tools are being realized by middle and small companies as a valuable tool for their company, enterprise company, to understand what's happening in their business. And so the workhorse has been Excel, the spreadsheet. And uh, management uses uh, spreadsheets to highlight certain areas to talk about, uh, make decisions on uh, acquisitions or mergers that might be occurring. Um, but the, the universal tool is has been the spreadsheet for communicating ideas. And so it makes sense that the spreadsheet will be a key component for machine learning and artificial intelligence. If I've got a spreadsheet and I want to I want to uh, uh, see if there's any outliers in the data. It should be a very simple um, process to highlight the data or to uh, select a table range and then apply a uh, machine learning algorithm and or a cloud service to determine a result. And... Uh, so those are, those are things that I think are, are interesting about trend. Um, the SQL Server database is another area where predictions could be made in the data where you, you're running a query, and, uh, but the query might be a request for a prediction on a certain data set. And maybe the larger data set is being analyzed by the neural net to get trend. And so when a request for a prediction is made, it feeds uh, a, a, set, a subset of data to the machine learning engine and the results are a set of predictions for outcomes based on uh, a set of, of inputs as rows. So you could have rows and each one of them become a set to be predicted against. So the SQL Server could train on, train the, on the data and then uh, be capable of making predictions from the data.
And the one area that I'm very interested in is using natural language to um, ask questions that produce results from data uh, searches. And the way I've been thinking that this would work is through what I call data hubs. So a data hub um, is a composite key and that and the composite key relates uh, two tables, a source table and a destination table together. And uh, so then you have a cross-reference table that for each hub that gives the list of source tables and, and destination tables. Then using the uh, field schema of the table, look for all fields that are numeric and are not part of a primary key or a um, foreign key. So exclude the columns that are primary key and foreign key and that are numeric and aggregate those at different levels. And so based on the nouns that are being passed to the uh, natural language parser, that could define the hierarchies and the level of aggregation that is required. So let's give an example. Let's say you're looking at cost detail and you want the cost detail actual hours by um, job and job phase. So using those two commands, I could say, um, computer, tell me what my hours for 1929 or 20, uh, 2020, 2019 for job I111-10 for phase safety. And uh, it will uh, query, it would go to the hub, look to see uh, which uh, hub manages job costing. Then it would look to say um, which tables are the source table and the destination table. And it would assemble the uh, SQL based on the nouns I provided, which are job and job phase. And that would be your hierarchy and then it would query the data and it could then, using a voice, give you a number. It could say 2,111 hours. And maybe then I could say, which department from this group had the most hours? And uh, it could then modify the query and insert uh, the department, and it could tell me the answer. If it didn't, if it couldn't find the noun in the uh, list of fields to build the hierarchy, then it maybe returned back and said, I, "I couldn't find a field called department." Or if there was ambiguity, maybe it would say, "Are you talking about uh, payroll departments or job costing departments?" And so it could get clarification um, from the natural language parser.
And the reason why this is helpful is the devices, according to artificial stupidity, will be navigated by voice, just like Siri. But Siri has a strong limitation in that it cannot compile or program uh, queries to answer questions. And so, uh, of a nature when it relates to data. And so that's my interest in uh, building uh, natural language querying capability for uh, systems that the systems can be put into cubes, three-dimensional data, and cubes can relate to cubes. So you can query one cube and take the results and take another cube and merge those results. Um, likewise, you can take warehouses and fact tables and uh, you can relate them through these hubs. And so this cross um, analytics between multiple cubes is going to be is very important and, and capable right now, but requires a lot of programming knowledge to be able to set that up, transform it, get it into a form. But once you have it into the three-dimensional form, it's fairly easy to, through uh, a language that's very similar to SQL, but it's more of a meta-language and uh, kind of a tokenized language where you can pass uh, syntax to it and it will, it will then query... Uh, the data and give you results and the machine then can read to you those results and it could be very simple like when you move it to business because they're not looking at lots of information even though there's lots of information available they want to know uh, certain things like for example if you're on the floor you want to know when a customer comes in uh, what are the last orders that he placed? So you could just ask the machine, what was the last order Bob Smith placed? Uh, and the machine could get Bob Smith, get his profile, look up the invoices or purchase orders, look at the last purchase order, and uh, then, then getting that could query up that purchase order and then... Uh, look at the header and give a, a read the description. Maybe it could summarize this description in a shorter, brief, briefer content. You know, by analyzing through a semantic analyzer, look at the large content and reduce it down to maybe a few sentences, and then return back and said, "Bob bought." Um, High 50 gallons of high gloss paint and um, he got the extended warranty or whatever so those are those are things then that you hear on the your headset and when you see him you could you could um, ask him if you know how he li how he uh, liked the the last product if it would you had a suggestions or complaints about it and you would know a little bit about what he was interested in right there interfaced with the machine through natural language and I think I've talked to you about that quite a bit uh, 
but that's what I see is uh, is uh, an important step in the artificial stupidity is that we start to build these interfaces that are uh, hands-free you don't have to tap on the glass you don't have to navigate to menus that the AI figures out the context and then it, it identifies like a search pattern where to go uh, build processes or run existing processes to return data or to cause actions to occur. Um, and so these are, these are type things that are very important. Um, I think when we're thinking about where do I want to work? Um, whether it's going to be a database, which I think database will be around for a long time. I don't see the relational database being displaced by the non-structured database. Um, however, I do see a strong need for something like a graph database, which may combine some of the strengths of a SQL database and also a non-structured database. Um, because there has to be a way that is easier to access the data and where relationships in the data are more transparent and easier to discover and utilize. Um, one of the big problems I see in data is duplication, is that uh, you start one, one piece of the puzzle and then you're pulled off on another project and then when you return uh, sometime later, you may not realize that you've completed that piece of the puzzle. And so there's lots of duplication, some of it identical, some of it with slight variation. And that's uh, inefficient. So in the sense that the machine were able to dynamically create content based on queries that it's writing, then it would be useful for the end user and so there's some of that when with the invention of link where you can uh, specify your predicate and that predicate can have values assigned inserted into it and that lambda function then expression uh, the function expression is then parsed by the link code and convert it into SQL. So again, at the bottom level, you've got the generation of SQL. And so I've been thinking a lot about machine generation of SQL and sets, and then getting the data back in a form that's uh, condensed enough that it's meaningful to people. Now, one thing that's interesting about machine generated SQL is that it gets really big fast. And so having rules or figuring out constraints to limit the amount of data is almost as important as figuring out what the relationships are between the data. Uh, say like you had 100 tables that you're joining, which is ridiculously uh, large but not impossible, and you had each one of those tables had 20 
um, fields. Well, you now effectively have 2,000 fields of data um, by how many rows, ever rows that you're returning back. So that's a big block of data that's returning back. So aggregation is very important. That we want to aggregate to a useful level and then we only want to display fields that are of interest to the user. And the system has to be able to identify similar words. So if I say, you know, job, job master, job control, all those things should mean the same thing. If I say customer, client, uh, vendor, supplier, you know, those are going to have variations because there's a difference between a customer and a vendor. But uh, maybe they share in common that they all have an address book. And so they have a name, they have a location, they have a billing address, they have a mailing address. Uh, Those type of things connected to the profile can be useful uh, to be able to extract information. Maybe you just want to know the phone number for uh, a certain supplier or the contact person for a certain vendor company. And, uh, you know, you don't want to have to open up your contacts and then, you know, navigate through the ERP to go to the address book and find the vendor and then go to a a secondary tab to see who the contacts are. Those are time-consuming clicks. If the machine could navigate to uh, to that data in in a similar way and know the pathway to find that data, uh, based on relationships and hierarchies, then it it's better. Uh, you can get more relevant information quicker. And that's that would be like the way we we interact with other human beings. You know, if we say, "Oh yeah, well, contact uh, Bill Smith. He's the uh, sales representative for uh, ABC Corp. and uh, he's our sales contact." And uh, then you know. Um, the identity entity would be uh, the corporation and then the sales contact would be uh, the sub, sub entity and so there's a lot of defining of what entities are and the relationship to entities and that's where kind of a graph like uh, structure would be useful because it then preserves those relationships of the data structures and then we navigate along those graphs to get to our destination. And uh, I see more of that type of design and functionality uh, in the future.